Hello, and welcome to What is Innovation? The podcast that explores the reality of a word that is in danger of losing its meaning altogether. This podcast is produced by Outlast Consulting, LLC, a boutique consultancy that helps companies use innovation principles to solve their toughest business problems. I'm your host, Jared Simmons, and I'm so excited to have Grace Chang Nicolette. Grace Chang Nicolette is the Vice President of Programming and External Relations for the Center for Effective Philanthropy. She works closely with the president on the organization's partnerships, outreach efforts, communications, and innovative programming, including oversight of the CEP's biennial conference for foundation executives. Prior to joining CEP, Grace co-founded a philanthropy advisory firm in Shanghai that identifies investments in high potential nonprofits and social enterprises in China. She was named a young global leader by the World Economic Forum in 2011. She began her career working in finance in New York at Citigroup and then in Shanghai at a semiconductor manufacturing company. Grace has an executive education certificate from Harvard's Kennedy School in Global Leadership and Public Policy and graduated with honors from the University of Pennsylvania as a Benjamin Franklin Scholar with a BA in Economics and International Relations. She resides with her husband and two children in Cambridge where they are active members of their church. Grace, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Jared. Oh, I'm super excited. I know we met maybe four years ago, I think, at a mm-hmm. at an event, and uh, it's just, it was a pleasure to meet you. And I learned so much from our conversation, and glad we've been able to stay connected. And looking forward to this this chat uh, on record. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. So why don't we dive right in? I mean, we've kind of touched on a lot of the different places you've been, things you've seen, roles you've played. Based on your your experience, uh, what is innovation? Innovation to me is discovering what works best and bringing it to the table. Interesting. Discovering what works best. So that aspect of discovery, tell me more about that. Yeah, I think that sometimes the answers already exist. In fact, a lot of the times the answers are already there. That's definitely true in the field of philanthropy. And then sometimes the answers uh, don't exist and we have to go out and find them. But finding what works best, um, bringing it to the fore, you know, it's not doing something new for the sake of doing something new, but Mm -hmm. doing something that's effective. I like your definition because it's got aspects to it. Mm -hmm. So I think about the discovery and I think about bringing it to the table. Which of those two elements in your career, in your experience, is tougher, discovering it or or bringing it to the table? Hmm. Wow, that's that's an interesting question. Um, I think both have their unique challenges. I mean, I think that sometimes when I think about, you know, my world is, um, you know, the social sector and um, civil society. And discovering what works can be very complicated, much more complicated, I think, than um, in other sectors. Um, And then once you discover something, you know, similar to some challenges in other sectors, bringing that to the right people, uh, bringing that to the decision makers, bringing that to um, the people that a policy or intervention may impact and bringing them along with it. Mm-hmm. is so important. So both of those pieces are really vital to success. You can't have one without the other. Right. I think in philanthropy, there can be a lot of um, really top-down thinking that like donors and funders, foundations know better uh, what you know people need than the people themselves. And I think that, you know, there really is an element of um, 
well, one, hubris in that. And two, um, there is a challenge for folks to be in dialogue with communities that are really different than their community. And, and how do you bring people along or how do you listen to them and give them what they want? Mm. Yes, I can imagine there's in that world that you're describing, there's inertia on both sides. You know, the, the way things are in the donor world and the way things are in the world uh, you're attempting to impact and change. Mm-hmm. And um, if I think about your definition of innovation, it almost makes me wonder which one is the table. You know, mm-hmm. are you bringing you bringing the you know the the resources to the to the communities, or are you you know building a bridge to bring the community closer to the to the resources? Yeah, that's a fantastic way of looking at it. It's certainly um, both are very challenging, I think. But you know, really listening well to communities and understanding things from their perspective, I think sometimes seems more challenging. It's the the actual giving of the money is not the hard part. It's the, you know, really understanding what works and listening to them. Right. It's interesting because you mentioned inertia. I definitely feel like that is definitely true of philanthropy. And I think that we often see a lot of new philanthropists, um, newly minted ones coming in and saying, you know, the way that things are, with nonprofits is totally broken and I'm going to come in with some new ideas and I'm going to, you know, move fast and break things. Right. And they quickly learn that it's a really different ball game in philanthropy than it is, let's say in the business world. <laughs> and so, yeah. you know, for those of us who work in philanthropy, there's always a little bit of like, okay, yeah, <laughs> we, we hear you. We've heard this before. Um, and, you know, mm. it's more encouraging when we hear, a new donor saying, you know, actually I'm here with a learning posture and there's a lot I don't know and I'm here to learn and there's a learning curve like with this, like with many things. And so that I think tends to be a more Mm -hmm. realistic and humble and successful uh, approach to philanthropy. Do you notice any differences in those two communities, uh, those two types of sort of uh, new philanthropists? Do you notice a difference in the, the outcomes of those, you know, those two different approaches? Yeah. So, you know, at the Center for Effective Philanthropy, we um, do these assessments for foundations. And one of the things that we ask their nonprofit partners is, you know, how well does this foundation listen? And what is the relationship you have? And we have all these different measures for relationship. And we do find that the better the relationship uh, the more likely a nonprofit is to say that the donor is having an impact because the donor has listened to what the needs are and things like that. So I would say that there are certainly donors who take a really uh, harder kind of top-down approach saying, you don't know what you're doing. You need to come and uh, I'm going to tell you how to fix things uh, or you need to do this program the way that I want it done. Um, and then there's the other kind of donor that really listens well, may have their own opinions for sure. and um, you know, expertise to bring to the table, which is usually highly valued by nonprofits, mm-hmm. but th- that they, you know, are open to learning and don't come in with a preset agenda. That definitely we do see as being more successful. Mm, that makes sense. That makes sense. And, and how, uh, you know, as you create these relationships and, you know, uh, create these connections, I, I guess, how is your role, does your role evolve in that process? Hmm. You mean my role in particular or the organization? Yes, probably your organization that, you know, if you've got the, the community and the, uh, 
the, the folks that need need the support and you've got the the donors how does your role evolve from say you know creating that um, identifying that opportunity through to you know how long do you stay involved got it yeah so so we don't actually recommend projects we basically provide data and insight on how funders whether donors or foundations can be more effective in their giving so it's things like mm-hmm. As I mentioned, like, how well are you listening? Um, you know, what are the things that nonprofits are saying that equal, you know, the most impact for nonprofits? Um, elevating some of the best practices in philanthropy and grant making. And so it's interesting because over time, there has become sort of a body of, I would call it science, <laughs> around what makes for a good foundation donor, for instance. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we do an assessment, we are working with an individual foundation, their staff and board, we give them their results in comparison with other funders um, that are their size, uh, that are like them, as well as all of the funders in our sort of data set universe. And we really identify specific areas that they're uniquely, you know, their strengths are uniquely, and then also areas for improvement. And then we, you know, give them suggestions on how, how to think about um, making some of the change. So for instance, you know, a lot of foundations um, really struggle with, okay, they only give one-year grants, for instance, or they only give project grants. Right. And um, we may come in and, you know, the findings from their assessment show that nonprofits are needing multi-year unrestricted general operating support grants. So we would say, like, let's have a conversation about that. Like, what are the ways, we're not saying you need to throw open the doors all at once and give that kind of funding. That might be too much to ask, um, too much for the board to take all at once, but are there a few grantees, for instance, or nonprofits that you're funding that you know their mission inside and out, you know that they are doing good work. And so therefore you can fund them in a different way that actually supports their long-term sustainability. Mm. Uh, And so we're really catalyzing a lot of those conversations. And then folks take our assessments over and over again. And so when we do it the next time, we can see, hey, actually nonprofits are are really resonating with, um, you know, the changes that you've made or these changes didn't quite resonate, like, you know, that kind of thing. So it's sort of an ongoing continuous improvement tool. Yeah, yeah. And I thought, I mean, looking at the data and the types of reports you generate and all those things, I assume you had to create those relationships. Like, but you're just, you're working on behalf I mean, you're generating the data mm-hmm. and supporting. That's amazing because, uh, in in you know, I came I come from consumer packaged goods world, and to be able to generate the kind of data you generate and to have views from both sides uh, mm-hmm. is a very tough thing if you aren't the one creating that relationship. So I was, yeah, <laughs> I almost assumed that you were, and that's the that's it's impressive that your data and your insights. Uh, are impactful enough for people to just proactively come to the table like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we work with folks who fund, you know, the whole gamut of issue areas. So it's not, yeah. you know, specific to an issue area like education or, or animals or anything like that. And so I think, um, you know, there are lessons to be had, you know, across issue areas of the actual practice of being a donor. I mean, I feel like there are organizations out there that tell you, why to give like what are your values the where to give and even like the structuring like the how to give Mm -hmm. and our sweet spot is 
how do you become more effective as a donor? So like the, you know, the learning curve. And so folks like Ford Foundation, Gates Foundation, all the way down to tiny family foundations and a lot of community foundations right. use our, our work to improve. Um, you know, we're, we're really trying to make the dollars go further, basically. Yeah, yeah. That, is, that is fascinating. How does your sport party, your definition of success as an organization, does that look different? from sort of say what you, you know, what you set out for, for your clients? Uh, is that, you know, how does, how does that look different? Yeah, that's a great question. So our clients being funders, a lot of them do have endowments. Um, so sort of managing to a operational budget is, I mean, obviously they have operational budgets, but it's different, right? Like we are a nonprofit. Um, we do have earned revenue from our assessments. Um, which we break even on. And then we also are half grant funded. Right. And so, you know, I think that there are ways that, um, for instance, we offer a foundation staff survey. So for foundations that have staff of 15 or more, things like how aligned are you with the mission? How aligned are you with the board? How clearly uh, has the mission been communicated to you? Do you plan to leave <laughs> anytime in the next, you know, it's an anonymous survey, but our staff actually takes that um, every year and we actually compare ourselves to the data set. And then we have some pretty honest conversations. You know, we, we run the cross tabs on, you know, are women having a different experience in the organization? Are people with lower tenures having a different experience? Are people of color having a different experience? And then we have a really honest conversation on um, what our strengths are and then where we want to improve. And that's always a, huge highlight. It's just really rich. Um, definitely a point in time where we really sort of reinforce our culture in this really beautiful way mm. where we talk yeah. about like how we want to improve and, um, and all of that. So yeah, so that's one way that we sort of make a tie between our external work and our kind of internal, uh, like the measurement of our, of our impact. That's that's fantastic. It's so important to be um, intellectually sort of consistent. Mm -hmm. It really starts to break down when you're selling data, when you're selling insights, but yeah. you're not really driving, having, uh, you don't have a culture driven by data and insights in terms. Yes, of, that's right. Uh, that, that can only last so long. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> or things start to, the wheels start to fall off. Yeah. It's something that I've seen in a lot of research and development organizations where you hire a lot of data-driven, insight-focused people to serve your consumer mm -hmm. or your customer, and then you neglect to leverage their insights and their, you know, thoughts uh, internally. It's very yeah. easy for um, for those, you know, for folks to identify those inconsistencies and, and feel and start to feel a bit of tension. Yes. We're holding up a mirror to a lot of foundations to say like, you know, this is what things look like. Yeah. And then, you know, we, we definitely have to hold that mirror up to ourselves. So, um, you know, within the nonprofit world, there's a lot of conversations now about racial equity and it's like the composition of, of boards and staffs, like, is it racially and, you know, diverse in other dimensions. And so that's something that we take very seriously as well. And when it comes to hiring, I think one of the things I've been really encouraged by is that we've really tried to walk the talk when it comes to really diversifying our candidate pool. So mm -hmm. we have folks on our HR team who do a fantastic job of that. And then we also post salaries um, so that, you know, there's no inequity in terms of- Really? Yeah. 
Wow. And so, and, and everyone essentially makes, you know, the same amount if they're doing the same job. And so there really isn't a case where, you know, if there was an audit that somehow, you know, someone would be paid a lot more for doing the same role. We also redact names and last names and school names from resumes during the interview process. So implicit bias can be curbed a bit. And so, you know, it's not about, oh, I went to this school too. And now we're like buddies, but really, um, can this person do the job? And uh, we want the best person for the job, not the person that, um, you know, has a similar last name to us or went to a name brand school. In fact, we, we may not even need a college degree for certain roles, and we don't want that to be something that we end up discriminating against either. And so I think, um, yeah, on those dimensions, I think it's been really neat to see, um, you know, we've kind of done internal innovation around how we do the work. That way we can also share with our clients, like it can be done. Right, right. No, it just gives you a level of authenticity and integrity mm-hmm. in your, your dealings with your clients that a lot of other insight-driven firms don't have. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I sometimes wonder, you know, why companies don't ask the reflective question to the to their advisors, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, you need to be more diverse. How diverse is your organization? <laughs> Yeah, it's amazing that space, as you know, has become very crowded right now mm-hmm. uh, in terms of a lot of very uh, old, very established firms and companies and the like mm-hmm. getting into the diversity and inclusion space. And, uh, yeah. you know, the the ability to have those conversations with integrity and authenticity and mm-hmm. consistency is just mathematically impossible for <laughs> some of the organizations that are, yeah. that are doing that kind of advising right now to be uh, practicing what they preach. Yeah. And also like following the science on it, right? I feel like there is enough research out there around like what kinds of diversity trainings are more or less helpful um, to actually like moving the needle forward. And I think that there's a lot to be said about not just going with the flow, you know, checking a box with this, but actually working with someone who has really dove into the research and knows like what works and actually knows how to bring people along. Um, so yeah, I agree. There's just so much out there right now, but, um, but finding quality in people who walk, walk the talk is really important. Yeah, it, it definitely is. As you think about sort of the, the, the foundations and you said, you know, you work with big and small, you know, household and the like, mm-hmm. what are some of the, the insights that, uh, that you've garnered from being able to look across how all these different foundations approach innovation, how they leverage your data, you know, what are some of the, the you know, you don't have to get into specifics, obviously, mm-hmm. but what are some of the, the things that you, you've seen in, the, in your industry? Yeah, well, a lot of the larger foundations have um, learning and evaluation departments, so they actually have people on staff hmm. whose role is to evaluate the efficacy of their programs, as well as ensure that the staff are kind of learning and growing and developing um, in their knowledge base. And so that's really encouraging. And that's obviously not something that all foundations can take on, but, you know, we tend to work with a lot of those um, kinds of departments. I think that like, it's interesting because I think that there are a lot of actual innovations I can think of in the field, like, you know, so many 
things that we take for granted in life now, like the 911 system or Sesame Street, uh, or even like the Green Revolution. I mean, some of these are a little more controversial, but like sure. these are all funded by philanthropy. And so there, there's tremendous innovation there. We've been watching, there's been a lot of focus, obviously, in the last year on racial justice and philanthropy, especially after the death of George Floyd. Mm -hmm. And there are foundations who are raising these huge bond offerings and then, you know, giving the money away to social justice organizations. Wow. And that's sort of the confluence of the, the way that the markets are now that it makes sense for them to do that. But that's relatively new and very exciting. Mm. Um, I think that there's a lot more collaboration. So there are like donor collaboratives. There are people making what they call big bets. So really putting down like big chunks of money to really move the needle on something. Mm -hmm. uh, so all of those, I think, have been really exciting. At the same time, I would say, you know, back to my definition of like discovering what works. I mean, a lot of our research has uncovered that the practice of good grant making often does come down to things that aren't necessarily new or sexy. It's things like, as I mentioned before, listening really well. Right. It's, um, you know, having a real honest, reflective approach of like how much power as a donor am I willing to give up and cede to the people that I'm trying to help. Mm. Because giving them unrestricted support, for instance, versus a project grant, um, you know, that might be a process of, of building trust. But, you know, it's, it's sort of those quiet things uh, like being a genuinely good partner right. <laughs> uh, that may not be in the papers, but actually are what moves the work forward. And so I would say there's, you know, a lot of innovation in a sort of headlines perspective. Sure. But I think that sometimes it's the quiet work, um, you know, day in, day out, uh, that just makes a huge difference as well. It's sort, sort of the similar tension between like big, you know, gifts versus lots of individuals giving small gifts. Mm. You know, both are really important. Right, right. I think that just kind of reflecting on, uh, you know, I've, I've spent some time in the nonprofit world and uh, thinking back on the different types of funding we had and received and the amount of time and effort and energy we put into, you know, seeking that funding out Yes. Uh, relative to the amount of time if we put into fulfilling the mission Yes. Uh, was always something I had a certain level of discomfort about. Mm -hmm. And it was something I actually tried for us to work against in a couple of different ways. One was simplifying the, uh, the approach, our approach to our work. Yeah. And the other was really developing a strategy around how we were going to acquire that funding mm. and then building our operation in a uh, low risk way around that. Yes. So that we, we could get low to mid effort way supported what we were planning to do. Yeah. And just kind of listening to you kind of unpack those things brought back a lot of a lot of memories because I was new to the nonprofit space when I got involved, I guess everyone is, but just the ongoing education of, okay, well, you know, we need this, so we should go talk to these people. Yeah, well, you go talk to them, and then you talk to this person, and then you do this, and then, you know, you've got to cultivate the relationship and yeah. uh, these things, and all of that is important, but I, when you talk about the tension between things, to me, that is the tension that I, I yes. identify with most from my time in the Yeah. So, I mean, that is a real dynamic. Um, and, you know, there are 
lots of horror stories out there that folks working in nonprofits, you know, for any amount of time can tell about like they spent so much time on, you know, a grant report uh, application only to have, and then like lots of, you know, feedback too, but then only to have it dinged. Um, one of the things I found interesting is um, this is not a widespread practice, but some funders are actually compensating nonprofits now for the application time. Now that's innovative. Yes. <laughs> um, and when it comes to reporting, so, you know, after a grant, uh, you know, concludes, there's usually a report that's due. Um, we definitely have funders who just have a phone conversation with us mm. around that. And they recognize that um, they want to minimize the time we're spending. They, they obviously, I mean, it's that whole, let's smash the idea that there is a tension between stewardship and control of like mm. how the funds were spent and like these really onerous kind of reporting requirements. Yeah. And so it's a phone conversation. They often have said, hey, if you have another report that you've already written for this work, uh, or do you want to just give us your annual report from last year? Yeah. Uh, and that is like music to our ears. Oh. It's like, yes, you did your due diligence and you know us and you know that we spent this money well. And um, thank you for not making this super onerous for us even after we've received the money. Right. Oh, that's that. I'm so glad to hear that. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's fantastic. And uh, I would be particular if I were involved in, you know, uh, working with the CEP directly, I would be particularly concerned with being kind to you all given the uh <laughs> given your place in the industry you would think but i have seen some things oh my goodness. <laughs> so, it, you know it's just interesting is that like that funder nonprofit dynamic mm -hmm. is such a powerful one like our president has said publicly many times he's like you would think of all people like he would be willing to you know, say everything that needs to be said when a funder was being unreasonable, but even he holds back yeah. because that is, and that's part of why we exist, right? It's just to really kind of chip away at that so that there can be more, you know, listening of what nonprofits really need and less of a power dynamic, but it is such a strong dynamic that really can impede the work. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it can, especially, you know, there's this, I think there's kind of an S-curve almost of size relative to uh you know distraction you know you mm -hmm. small it's a raising the money is a big distraction because you have a small staff yes and so it's a big percentage of your effort and then you get you know you grow a little bit and and that goes down but then there's a second sort of wave where mm -hmm. you're so big now you know you require a different kind of support model yes it requires yeah. more funding which means you have to change your approach and which means it goes back up again as a distractor yes and and i i do think there's something to be said and i've heard you talk about this uh for you know not seeing it as a distraction so much as a different way a, a different aspect of fulfilling a mission yes yeah. absolutely it's bringing people along helping them to see um you know to join the work right that's also an important piece of it exactly important to, to frame it that way because it's uh, another form of discovery mm -hmm. that lets you help your organization get to where, where you want it to go yeah so one 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 last question mm -hmm. uh, it's been a, a great conversation I always every time we talk my brain just goes off in a lot of different directions so I'm wondering if you would have any advice for uh for innovators out there hmm. yeah I think my advice would be let's not innovate just for the sake of innovating, that there are, there's lots of well-trod ground out there 
And sometimes what I think of as innovative, there, there can actually be a really strong thread that ties to the past. Sure. Um, so like I think about Hamilton, the musical, right? Like it's, it was so innovative, partially because it is rooted in like a true story from the past, but it's a totally new way of doing it. New and not new, right? Like, and so I, I don't know. I, mm. I just think that I take a lot of inspiration from that paradigm of like, when we need to find a solution, yeah. we're not alone. We don't need to feel like we need to come up with everything. Are there things that we can study from the past? People we can talk to who are experts, who can inform, you know, and maybe it's something that meets in between. And so that's why innovation can be so squishy. Right. But, but it's also, you know, at the end of the day, again, discovering what works best. Yes. I, I think the, the element of newness and innovation, the fact that something doesn't have to be new to be innovative, uh, doesn't necessarily have to be novel to be innovative. It's, it's, it could be discovered in the present. It could be discovered in the distant past. Mm -hmm. It's just about bringing, bringing it to the table in a way that makes it effective uh, and impactful for the world. Yeah. Grace, thank you so much for your time. It's great to see you and talk to you again. And uh, I, I really appreciate you uh, joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, take care. We'd love to hear your thoughts about this week's show. You can drop us a line on Twitter at Outlast LLC, O-U-T-L-A-S-T-L-L-C, or follow us on LinkedIn where we're Outlast Consulting. Until next time, keep innovating, whatever that means. <laughs>